0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in an age that suffers from a lack of fear of God. Many churches present a one-sided perspective of God. They only tell you that God is a God of love and of mercy and of grace. They never present a complete picture on who the Lord is. They forget that God is a holy God, a just God, A God who is angry with sin, and who punishes unrepentant sinners. They neglect to mention the majesty of God, how He is so highly exalted above us. Instead, they bring God down to our level. You see this in how many Christians worship God. Worshiping God does not have priority in their lives. Some churches shut down over the summer months. People are too busy going to the cottage or occupied with other fun stuff with to bother coming together to glorify God. Many church services advertise a more casual atmosphere where you are invited to come as you are. The reading of the Bible and the preaching of the gospel are replaced with a more entertaining service. They make coming into the presence of God sound like the spiritual equivalent of visiting a favorite uncle. The Bible teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As parents, we know that fear needs to play a role in the lives of our children. We teach them not to be afraid of irrational fears, of things like monsters hiding under the bed. But we do want them to fear, to show a healthy respect for things that could harm them. They should be afraid of touching a hot stove. They should be careful chasing a ball into a busy street. They need to avoid strangers who offer them candy and want to take them for a ride in their car. Understanding who God truly is and revering him is essential to living a godly life. In our text we see that Israel was afraid to come into the presence of God. And so the Lord reaches out to his people and shows them it's certainly possible for them to do so. In our our text the Lord details the service of the priests and the Levites and of how through their ministry Israel was able to enjoy communion with him. It's because of this that He commanded them to support their ministry with their offerings and tithes. Living in the 21st century, we no longer have a priestly ministry that allows us access to God. Yet God has provided us with the ministry of reconciliation in Jesus Christ. And so we'll see how our text has a lot of relevance to our lives today. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God has given the ministry of reconciliation as a gift to his people to allow them to approach him without fear. We'll see God's gift of the ministry of reconciliation and the people's gift of supporting this ministry. Numbers 18 is all about the ministry of the priests and Levites. It's about their labors at the tabernacle on behalf of the people of Israel. Our text is set in a specific context. Korah and 250 other community leaders had challenged the priestly role of Aaron and his sons. They said that the whole congregation was holy, that anyone could serve as priest in Israel. They accused Aaron of exalting himself and his family above the rest of the people of Israel. The result was that a contest was held with Korah and his 250 men taking censers and offering incense before the Lord. And Aaron, his sons, doing the same. In that contest, the Lord would choose who it was that would serve him. We know what happened. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. The earth swallowed up the rebels who had challenged the leadership of Moses and Aaron. The bronze censers of the 250 men were hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a reminder to the people of Israel so that no outsider who is not of the house of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord. The next day when the people grumbled about Moses and Aaron to Moses and Aaron about the men who had died the Lord sent a plague on the congregation it killed another 14,700 people. It was only stopped when Aaron offered incense on behalf of the congregation. The message was plain and direct. God had chosen Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. To confirm this message, the Lord commanded the leaders of each of the tribes to present their staffs to Moses with their names inscribed on them. The staffs were left in front of the ark of the testimony overnight. Aaron's staff budded. It produced blossoms and bore ripe almonds. It was the Lord's way of confirming he had chosen Aaron's house to serve as priests before him. And so we see that the people experienced in a dramatic way what happens when you rebel against God. They were awestruck by God's holiness and power. God is not a tame God. He's not a God that you can stick in your back pocket as some kind of insurance policy. God is not to be messed about with. He is awesome in His holiness. It frightened the people. Being confronted with with the majesty and glory of God, they thought they were all going to die. And so Numbers 17 ended with the people lamenting, We will die. We are lost. We're all lost. Are we all going to die? It's important that we pause for a moment at this point, beloved. Do we know God as majestic and holy? Do we recognize that as sinful people we have no right to come in the presence of God in and of ourselves? Many years ago, Jonathan Edwards wrote a famous sermon titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Edwards was speaking in an evangelistic context. His sermon was directed against people who had wandered and strayed and rebelled against God. In simple terms, he told them that unless they repented, they would suffer God's judgment, they would go to hell not a popular message today, but it's the biblical truth. God is angry with our sins. Unless we repent, God will hold our sins against us. He will bring his just judgment upon us. Brothers and sisters, if there is a specific sin in your life which clings to you, from which you have not repented, you need to do so. God will hold those sins against you. His judgment rests on you. God requires that payment must be made for them. We cannot enjoy fellowship with God unless our sins are paid for. It's so easy for us to presume on the grace of the Lord, to think I'm a Christian, all's a-okay with my life. Is it really? Giving intellectual consent to the truths of the gospel does not make you a Christian. In Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Being a Christian involves Knowing your sins, repenting of them, and seeking forgiveness in the blood of Christ. It involves being renewed more and more by the working of the Spirit, and then also bringing forth the fruits of faith in your life. Without repentance and renewal, we should all be crying out, We will die. We are lost. We're all lost. We're all going to die. Our text provides an answer to the people's question, are we all going to die? It shows how the Lord provided the ministry of the priests and Levites. It was their service at the tabernacle which opened the way for God's people to approach him and to live in close fellowship with him. Our text explains the responsibility given to Aaron and his sons and more generally to the Levites. The Lord tells Aaron and his sons, saying, you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary and with your priesthood. So what does that mean? Here the Lord is speaking about the unique role that he assigned to Israel's priests. They had to bear responsibility for the sins and the offenses of the people of Israel. It was their job to serve as mediators between the people and God. Only they had the right to approach God with sacrifices and offerings that he required to pay for sin. Similarly, the Levites had a very important role in Israel. Part of their role was to help the priests in the service of the tabernacle. But part of their service was also to guard the tabernacle. It was to ensure that no one other than the priests entered the tabernacle. It was forbidden under penalty of death. But the point was, the priests and the Levites had better make sure they did their jobs. Every day the priests were required to come before the Lord with burnt offerings and sacrifices to atone for the people's sins. No one else in Israel was allowed to do this except them. But if they did not fulfill their God-given responsibility, there was no way for God to live in unity with His people. There was no way that his blessing would rest on them. And thus our text speaks about them bearing responsibility for the sins and the offenses of the community. We could also put their ministry in more positive terms. It was a ministry of reconciliation. Through their service, Aaron and his sons made God accessible to sinful people. By offering the required sacrifices and offerings, God's anger was turned away from His people's sins. Instead, God received His people into communion with Him. It's through the work of the priests and Levites that God's people could come before Him and worship. It's through their work that God's favor and His blessings were bestowed on His people. That's why in verse 6 of our text, the work of the Levites is spoken of as God's gift. And why in verse 7, the work of the priests is spoken of as God's gift. The Lord gave these office bearers to his people Israel to serve in the ministry of reconciliation. It's a clear sign of God's grace to his people. It made clear God's desire to continue to have fellowship with them. God Himself provided the means to make it possible. He provides a ministry through which His people's sins could be paid, through which they can be reconciled to Him. It's through the service of the priests and Levites that God would bless His people richly. The service of the priests and Levites points forward to the ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. His ministry too is God's gracious gift to us. God sent his own son into this world to serve as a sin offering on our behalf. Jesus voluntarily walked the pathway of suffering to atone for our sins. On the cross he humbled himself to the very deepest shame and the anguish of hell. He bore our sins to turn God's wrath away from us, so that through repentance and faith in Christ's redeeming work, God might accept us as his children and heirs. The question is, how does God communicate Christ's glorious work of redeeming us from our sins and restoring us to his favor? Well, also in the Christian church, God has appointed men to serve him. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 5 about how God entrusted him and his fellow workers with the ministry of reconciliation. Paul explains what this ministry was. He says that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul goes on to speak about being an ambassador for Christ, and he issues this urgent appeal: We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In Ephesians 4, Paul goes on to speak about how God gave office bearers as a gift to His church. He writes, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. To this, we could add and elders and deacons. The reason God has given various office bearers to his church is to open the way of reconciliation that we might live in close fellowship with him. Like in our text, pastors and elders bear responsibility for the congregation. They administer the keys of the kingdom of heaven. They are to administer the word of God publicly and privately calling us to repentance and faith. They're responsible for keeping watch over the souls of God's people. The deacons are to show forth the love of Christ so that no one may live uncomforted under the pressures of sickness, loneliness, or poverty. The goal is that we may truly know God, that we may approach Him without fear. It is that we might live in close communion with Him in our daily lives brings us to our second point and we will consider the people's gift of supporting this ministry we've seen the responsibility of the priests and levites in service in the service in the ministry of reconciliation their task was to make it possible for the people to approach god and worship without fear to reconcile them with the lord in covenant fellowship but for them to do this they needed to be supported by the gifts of the people Thus the remainder of our text specifies the gifts the people were required to provide for the ministry of reconciliation. When Israel came into the promised land, each of the tribes was allotted their own inheritance. Yet the tribe of Levi was not given a share in the land. Instead, God commanded his people to bring their offerings to the priests and Levites, and he allowed them to eat of these offerings. In Numbers 8, in Numbers 18, verse 8, the Lord said to Aaron... Behold, I have given you charge of the contributions made to me, all the consecrated things of the people of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual due. The priests who served in the most holy place were allowed to eat a portion of the grain offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. A memorial portion was offered on the altar and the rest was given to them as food. With these sacrifices, the people of Israel were also required to offer grain, oil, and wine as a wave offering before the Lord. All the best of the oil, wine, grain, and ripe fruit of the land were to be provided as food for the priests and their families. The Lord also commanded His people to provide a tithe of all they had to the Levites. Since the Levites didn't farm the land but devoted themselves full time to the ministry appointed to them by God, the Lord commanded the other tribes to contribute a tenth of their income to the Levites so that they would have food to eat. From this the Levites were commanded to give a tenth to the priests so that they also would be sustained. It's striking to see how God commanded His people to give their first fruits when they harvested grain Or made oil from their olives or wine from their grapes, the first portion was reserved for the Levites. When their cows or goats or sheep produced offspring, the firstborn was set aside for the priests. When they gathered ripe fruit, the first bit of the harvest was reserved for God's ministers at the tabernacle. There was a good reason why the Levites were given a tenth of everything from the rest of the Israelites. They had no inheritance in Israel. They owned no land. When Israel inhabited the land of Canaan, they were scattered throughout the nation in various towns. In turn, month by month, the Levites were called to minister at the tabernacle and later at the temple. But most of the year they lived among God's people serving as teachers, instructing the people in God's ways. God appointed the priests and Levites to serve before Him. Their task was to serve in a ministry of reconciliation. They concentrated on the spiritual matters of the nation, on making sure the people could live in close fellowship with God. And in turn, the Lord commanded that the people provide materially for them so that they would be able to continue to lead the people in serving God. Practically speaking, this meant the priests and Levites were totally dependent on the faithfulness of God's people. In times of religious indifference, the Levites suffered and went hungry. We know that at times in Israel's history this happened, and it led to the Levites forsaking their primary responsibility to go to work to provide for their families. The result was that Israel was no longer being led in God's ways. They turned further and further from God's service. There were also times of spiritual renewal and revival when the Ministry of Reconciliation was re-established. It often led to a time of great blessing in Israel. Is there anything that we can learn from this as 21st century Christians? Yes. The Bible makes it clear that the same principles that apply to Israel also apply to the church today. Today, our pastors are entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. They are Christ's ambassadors, called to preach the gospel faithfully. It's through their ministry that we are called to repent of our sins, to believe the good news of salvation. To live thankful and fruitful lives in God's service. As congregation, we in turn are called to support them materially so that they may devote themselves full time to this work. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 9. He introduces the topic by asking Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Paul asks, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? In 1 Corinthians 9.14, he applies our text to us as Christian church. He says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. As congregation, it's our calling to continue to support the ministry of reconciliation Beloved, that does not just involve providing for your local pastor. It involves providing for our theological seminary so that more pastors and teachers may be trained. It involves providing for the work of mission so that many many more may hear the glorious tidings of salvation and come to share in the blessings of Christ. And so I need to ask, Dear brother, dear sister, do you give back to God from your material blessings in support of the ministry of the gospel? Do you do so according to the measure in which God has blessed you? Do you do so regularly and faithfully? Do you give your first fruits, setting aside the first portion of your income for God? Or does he just get some leftovers if they're available? Young people, many of you are working during the summer. Some of you have part-time jobs through the year. Are you thankful to God for his blessings, both spiritually and materially? Do you give back to God even if you're not working full-time? As church, we've been blessed through the years with sufficient means to meet our budget. But often that requires a push at the end of the year because we've not all been faithful in regular giving. From the elders, I know that there are some among us who contribute little or nothing. Beloved, that is shameful. It is sinful. We serve an awesome God. Majestic and glorious. A God who loved us so much he sent his Son so we could be restored to fellowship with him. A God who provides us with so many blessings, both spiritually and materially. If you refuse to give, or if you give only your leftovers, you are robbing God. You are showing forth A deep lack of gratitude for his blessings. Beloved, in the Christian church today, there appears to be a lack of the fear of the Lord. And that's why this morning we read together from Hebrews 12. In it, the writer speaks about how God appeared to his people on Mount Sinai. They saw a blazing fire, they heard the sound of this loud trumpet blast. And a voice that made them beg that no further messages be spoken to them. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Hebrews twelve goes on to speak about God's grace in allowing us to approach him through Jesus Christ. Yet it warns us that God's character has not changed. It calls us to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. I want to conclude with a practical question. Do you or I need to be afraid of God? The answer to that question depends on our relationship with God if we are wandering and straying from God's service, disobeying his commands, living how we want, we better be scared. If we knowingly reject the gospel, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. God's judgment rests on us. And if we don't repent, we'll be condemned to hell. Yeah, beloved, if we believe in Jesus Christ as the only mediator and trust our lives to Him and live in a God-pleasing way, we need not fear. In 1 John 4, the Apostle writes about how God's great love for us gives us confidence for the day of judgment. He writes about how there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God's love in Christ has set us free from coming under his condemnation. Christ came to reconcile us to God, to make us know him as our loving father. In Christ, we may experience God's love and we may live under his blessing. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message. Uh, We'll do that by rising and singing together from Psalm 42, stanzas 1, 3, and 5.